Today on All Things IDD, we have Dr. Frank Del Rio joining us again, and he's going to talk with us about tools and resources for parents who have kids that are about to start up at school again. Frank, thank you so much for joining us again today. It's always a pleasure to have you here on All Things IDD. Thank you for having me. Well, today I want to talk a little bit about how parents can get their children ready for the new school year. Um, a lot of kiddos with special education issues, whether it's autism um, and intellectual disability or just whatever it is, have different concerns as far as getting ready for school. Their parents have concerns. So I want to talk a little bit about what we can do to get the kids ready for school and things parents can do to make it a smoother year and easier for them as far as working with the school on different issues. Well, I want to start out just saying that a new school year means a new grade, new teachers, new goals. All of these can be scary for not only the kiddos that we work with, but their parents. So in order to help kids and maybe parents, what I want to do is give some back to school tips I'm hoping it'll make the transition easier for everybody. I'm going to start by the fact that with a new school year starting, some of our kids are going to have back-to-school jitters. They've gotten out of the routine of school, and so now they're used to whatever's going on during the summer. And so just even talking about it can produce a little bit of anxiety with our kiddos. But we need to start doing that if we haven't already. I want to talk to them about how exciting classes can be, the activities, it's a chance to meet new friends and reacquaint with old friends in whatever language that they understand. But we want to try to be positive, and that'll be a theme in a lot of what I'm talking about, is trying to make school a positive experience for everybody. So we can try to do things such as schedule a visit. I highly encourage us to have a visit with our kiddos with the school. Um, the mom can go, or dad, either one or both, can go with the kiddo to school, let them meet the new teacher, let them do their class depending on what grade they're in. Maybe they can work through the schedule they're gonna have so they can see where they're gonna go from class to class, things like that. And are you saying outside of meet the teacher night, Yes. People can request to be able to go into the school. And yes, see I think meet the teacher is a critical thing that we should be doing. But outside of that, I think it's actually good to schedule a meeting with the teacher or another professional to talk about the schedule and for the child to go through and learn their routine. And there's a couple other reasons we'll do a meeting, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit also. But I absolutely think they need to get familiar with what they're about to go through. Beyond that... Um, Locate the classroom, look over the desk, show them the bathrooms, things like that. Um, so that type of stuff as far as relieving back-to-school jitters. Um, the next thing I would consider doing is organizing paperwork. If you're a parent and your child has an IEP or a 504, and I know that's some lingo that most of, many of you may know, some of you may not know, but those are different interventions and programs that we use to, with kids in school. Um, if they have any of that type of thing, you want to start getting your paperwork in order. Understand that when your child's in special education, there could be a lot of meetings, a lot of paperwork, a lot of documentation. Um, so we want to make sure we get that all together. Um, it's good to keep a family calendar of school events, meetings, conferences, things like that, because a calendar gives you a roadmap so that you don't forget what's going on, but it helps the children that we work with understand what's coming up next because they have a visual aid. And a lot of our kids are visual learners. Um, I also suggest, if you can, setting up a binder or folder to keep special education documentation in. And you can keep meeting notices in it, an IEP if they have it, things like that. That way you'll have everything you need in one spot. 
So if you have to have a meeting or if you have a concern, you can go to one spot and find everything you need. Along with that, one of the things I suggest all families do is have a communication log. If you have a good relationship with your school and the teachers, that's wonderful. If you have difficulties on occasion, it's even more important. What a communication log does, it gives you a chance to keep up with all phone calls, all emails, notes sent home, requests for meetings, conferences, any kind of communication. You want to have this information because it gives you a log of what's been done with your child, the things you're doing, the things the school are doing, to have that information. That's going to help keep things clear in your mind on what's going on, and it's going to help you if you do have difficulties. And I should, this is a little bit of an aside, but I should start out by saying every teacher I've ever met in special education is trying to help kids. I don't know any teacher that has ever gone to school thinking, you know, it'd be great to mess up some child's life so I can get a check. They're all in it for the right reasons. But people do get overwhelmed. There's a lot of kids. There's a lot of things they need to do. So things can happen. And so, of course, you are the biggest advocate for your child. But I want everybody to understand that when you're having difficulties with the school, the vast majority of the people that you might be having difficulty with aren't doing it on purpose. There might be different reasons that that happens, but for the most part, everybody means well. So it's a little bit of a side note, but I wanted to go ahead and bring that back to the communication log helps you with all that. And when you do that, make sure you have dates, times, and the nature of communication. If you have problems in the future, whether it's with your IEP or 504, or you're needing an accommodation for your child, this information is going to be critical for you to be able to get the accommodation because there are some schools and some districts based on policy that may say if you don't have a meeting, if you don't have documentation, then it never occurred. And then it's more difficult and it takes longer for you to get the, need, the needs of your child met. And that's frustrating for you and the kids. And for some people, it's surprising, but the teachers are frustrated. Remember, the teachers want what's best for your child by and large also, but they're, they're tied by policy and they have to follow their rules. So communication logs are helpful for everybody. Another thing we should do is review your child's current IEP. An IEP is an individualized education program, and it's the cornerstone of your child's education if you have one. It says exactly what's going to happen with your child, and you need to have a clear understanding of the IEP. If you don't have a clear understanding, you need to talk to somebody who can help. At the ARC, um, I can help you with this. There's also another organization that can help with this. And I'm going to talk to that here in a little bit. It's called Partners Resource Network. And I promise before we're through, I'm going to give you their phone number information on that. But they can help with IEPs also. The reason you want to review it is you want to know when the IEP expires. You want to know if your child's up for a reevaluation of that IEP. And probably most importantly, you want to make sure the IEP still fits your child's needs. If things have changed, if he or she's gotten better at reading, math, writing, or if they've regressed, if their behavioral issues have changed, you want to make sure the IEP does what it's supposed to. And again, the IEP is the written plan for what needs to happen. Understand the IEPs are often written in the spring. So the new teacher, and I can't emphasize this enough, the fact you had a plan whether it worked or did not work doesn't mean the new teacher knows any of that. In a perfect world, this information would have been passed on to the new teacher. But I've talked to enough teachers know it doesn't always happen that way. So this is where it's good for you to have an IEP. The school can give it to them, but you can make a copy and hand it to the teacher when you have the meeting that we're going to talk about. Um, before school starts, 
Read through the IP to refresh your own memory. Make sure you know exactly what's on it, and you make sure that the learning goals that are priorities to you are listed. Talk over the learning goals with your child if they're old enough to advocate for themselves. Um, and make sure every teacher working with the child has a copy of the IEP. That's not a requirement by the school by any stretch, but I think it's a good idea for you because then you personally know you've handed the IEP to the teacher. And if you have challenges later, then at the very least, you know a teacher's going to say, well, I had no idea because you handed it to them yourself. Mm. So um, definitely include that in the, the um, communication log that absolutely. you were talking about. Um, Make sure that I want to make sure everybody knows an IEP, the strength of it lies in the parents and teachers understanding of it. When an IEP is written, it's hopefully a really good plan written by several people. It should include the child if they're capable, the parent and many educators. And hopefully it's a solid plan based on assessment that does what's in the best interest of your child. But the strength of the IEP lies in the parent and the teacher and the teacher's aides understanding of it and active participation in implementing it. So I want you to understand that you need to understand the plan, the teacher needs to understand the plan, and it needs to actively be followed. That's important because there are some IEPs, they're not followed the way they should be. Um, different individuals, for different reasons it happens, but it's really important that the IEP is followed the way it is written. That is the only way we know if it's successful, and it's the only way we know if it needs to be changed. It's also your child's best way to be able to advance and learn the different things we're wanting them to learn. Starting a school routine. Um, this is something I might should have led with, but it's important that a, uh, the routine is updated once school starts. Keep in mind the school routine is way different than the summer routine. So what I would suggest is you begin practicing a new schedule. What that means is your morning schedule is going to be different than what it was during the summer. So determine what you want that schedule to look like. I would encourage you to put it in a picture form or some kind of way that a child can see it. Do an evening schedule the same way and begin implementing it, I'd say, well in advance of the first day of school. Quite honestly, if you can do it right after you hear this podcast, that's a good time to do it. And before school can be in whatever order you want to do it in, getting dressed, brushing teeth, washing face, eating breakfast, whatever it is that's in the morning routine, set up so they do every step exactly in order. At nighttime, whatever the routine is, whether it's doing schoolwork, eating dinner, taking a bath, whatever it is, have the routine written out. One thing I would encourage you to do, it's a little bit of an aside too, but just to throw it in here, if your child will do it, Set up clothes for the next day that night. I can't tell you how many families I've worked with that this has saved them so much trouble in the morning because you're going to skip all of the, I don't know what shoes to wear, I don't know what shirt to wear, I don't like those shorts, because you determine that ahead of time. There's even online and maybe even stores, they have little cubbies where they have Monday through Friday where you put the clothes in there on the weekend and you're set for the entire week. Huge time saver and saves you a lot of trouble. Whatever you can do to set up a routine, keep in mind a lot of our kids are creatures of routine. Once you teach them the routine, it's going to make your life infinitely easier. Unless you deviate from the routine, then you'll probably pay the price. But our kids are pretty good at following the routine once you get them doing that. I'd also encourage you to attend school events. One of the best things you can do as an advocate for your child is be involved. 
Now, everybody has different levels of comfort, how involved you can be. You do have a child with special needs and other family and obligations and things like that. But when the school knows you're around, they get familiar with you. They know you're there. Um, you become more than just the parent. You become that knowledgeable person, and you get to know the personalities. And every school and every teacher and everybody that you work with is hopefully, when you get to the ARD meeting, going to work with you. And that should be the case with everybody. But we all know, regardless whether it's your job or whatever it is you're doing, when you know somebody, you're a little more likely to take things more seriously, help them a little more. That's human nature. That's not anything negative about the school. That tends to be the way things are. So when one of the things you should do is attend school events. What, the way you do that is you take advantage of going to open house, back to school, parent-teacher conference, things like that. This is important because it gives you a chance for the individuals at the school to get to know your child. And you can show them in a positive light. So you share the positives about working with your child, letting the teacher know about changes, things like that, because you want them to know about the things that are positive about your child. Another thing we should do, and I've kind of touched this already, is build relationships. If challenges arise during a school year, it's going to be helpful for you to know you have allies you can turn to. The teachers that you've spoke with, the aides you've talked to, principals, anybody you've talked to are now people you have a relationship with. So it's not as intimidating for you to ask for help. And they're familiar with you, so it's easier for them to talk with you too. So you want to nurture alliances with teachers, support staff, other parents and students, anybody that might impact you or your child. Um, one of the suggestions I would have, and I haven't seen it done very often, is call or send a thank you note to people who have provided bright spots the previous year. You might tell a teacher an aide something they did that made your life better or that your child really enjoyed. I will tell you that from a special education standpoint, having talked to teachers and aides, they hear your complaints. They're familiar with that because most of us are pretty good at vocalizing them. But we're not always good about letting them know that they're appreciated. We might tell someone at the end of the year, you know, we appreciate everything you did for our child. And not everybody does that either. But if you have a teacher and aide that's really done a lot for you, let them know. Not only does it make their lives easier, they remember those things. And those things go around pretty quickly too. So when you do that, mention how you appreciated their involvement how you look forward to their future support. Because remember, just because your child's in fifth grade, that second grade teacher is still in the building and that relationship you built with them can have positive dividends. So you want to do those things. So you can contact other people you'd like to include among your supporters in the coming year. Let them know the important impact they can have on your child's life. Also, be sure to offer your support for their cause in return. This is a good tool to know because while your child's in special education, Chances are a lot of the same kids that are in the classroom are going to be with them for a while. So get to know those parents because those parents are going to have times they can be your help and vice versa. So that's really important to make relationships with those kiddos too. But most importantly, let everybody know that you're willing to talk. You're willing to consider options. You're not closed-minded. You're willing to hear what the school has to say. And you are eager to be included in your child's educational experience. Give them your email address your phone number, whatever you're comfortable with, so you can easily be reached and ask about the best way to co connect with them. And then document that in that communication log we talked about that you did it. Again, the communication log isn't necessarily to catch somebody when they did something wrong. It's to show you what's been done. So at the end of the day, you can go through, it helps you remember what you've done and what you haven't done because you might not remember either. But it gives you a chance to have all that information. 
the next thing that I suggest, and I don't think very many people do this, is create a positive portfolio. You can call this whatever you want. I'm a big fan of positive praise and positive interactions. So that's kind of what I go with. But all parents should consider creating a portfolio. What it's used for is to create a smooth transition each school year. The things you would do is it contain a positive description of your child in it. Include a profile describing your child's strengths, their interests, favorite activities, and learning priorities for the year, things that are important that you, your child wants to learn and things that are important for you that they want to learn. You might include tips about any physical assistance or communication needs your child might have. You can describe behavioral supports that work or ways to structure situations that might avoid behavioral challenges. There may be things you've learned from the past teachers or aides or things at home that you know that help and the, the future teacher doesn't necessarily know that, so you can give them that information. You can make a list of tasks, roles, and responsibilities for a teacher's assistant. Of course, you're not telling them what they have to do, but this gives them information that helps them know things that will benefit your child. Describe the classroom arrangements that help support your child. For some kids, where they sit makes a difference, whether it's the front of the class or the back of the class, whether there's people around them, what is their noise level tolerance, climate control. Do some of them do better in warm temperatures than cold temperatures? This might seem kind of miniature and not real major, but for a child with sensory issues, that temperature and where they sit and who they're around could make a huge difference in how their school year goes. If you can, include samples of your child's work. Describe accommodation and modifications that were made to the original assignment to help your child out. So you can tell them, last year in class, this was the assignment, this is the accommodation we did that allowed my child to be successful. Because your teacher doesn't necessarily know that. And they don't have to do what you suggested, but it gives them a way to know this worked before, maybe I can use that information so they're not recreating the wheel. You can share the name of students who are friends with your child. You can give tips on facilitating connection, yeah, connections with other students. Finally, you can include a photo or a brief video showing your child participating with other students and being supported successfully in class. Again, when I went over this positive portfolio, I've heard it called what works for my child. You can call it whatever you want to. And the things I've indicated is pretty comprehensive. You don't have to do any particular thing you're uncomfortable with. If there's something you just don't want to do, you don't have to. If there's something that sounds like a good idea, but you're not sure how to implement it, you can call us at the ARC. I will be glad to help you and walk you through some of these things. We don't mind doing that to help out at all. Another thing that I've referenced a few times is request a meeting. We need to call the child's teacher and request a meeting to share insights and information about your child. Again, we've already done this in an IEP. I just talked about all that other stuff, and I know that there's going to be people who think, well, why do I need a portfolio if I have an IEP? It's because the IEP is the official record that was done with you and a bunch of professionals. The portfolio is from you specifically, and you can say whatever you want to because it's your perspective. So you can be a lot more elaborate than you were in an IEP and cover a lot more ground on the issues that are important to you. Again, if there's something that's not important to you, don't include it. If there's something I didn't suggest but you think is important, go ahead and include it. But in the meeting you have with the teacher, you're going to get to share the insights and information. And this is your chance to begin a positive relationship with the child's teacher and to establish that you're an active team member in the child's education. There are some parents that their child starts school and they're never heard from again. And there's other parents who are there all the time. 
And the school doesn't have a problem with whether you fall into either particular parent. Most teachers I know would prefer that you're active. But what it does do is they know you're active. And if there are difficulties, chances are they're going to reach out to you quicker because they know you're active and you're more accessible because they talk to you and email with you all the time. So that's why it's a good way to do that. Most teachers tend to appreciate your involvement and the knowledge you can share. Um, consider this initial meeting kind of a marketing opportunity. We're basically talking about our child and make sure at the end of this meeting that you include any plan you have about ongoing communication because that kind of is the key. And I know I've referenced that earlier, but would you like to make contact every day, once a week, only as needed? What do you think you need? What does the teacher think? Because of course we want all the information and we want them to do what's best for our child, but we also want to understand they have several other kids too. So we're not trying to make this our child a full-time job. We want to make this a collaboration that we can do things as best as we can. So we talk about communicating. Is it easier notes, telephone, email, in person, whatever you're doing, document that in that communication log, the best way to do it. That way you'll have that information and then you can kind of go forward from there. I know I've talked about this a little bit already, but you want to stay involved. After you've laid the groundwork, you want to ensure your child's success by being involved at school throughout the year. And the way you do that is continue joining the PTA. That does not take a huge involvement on your part unless you choose to. Um, volunteer in the classroom. What a better way to get to know the child, the teacher, the aides, the other students. You can see the interaction. Granted, it's only a certain event, but it's a good way to do things so that you can see what's going on and you're making yourself an ally to the teacher and the aide. Help in the lunchroom, help in the library, assist with special events, anything you can do that gets you known around your school. The more active you are, the more impact you can have on your child's school, the people who work there, and the education your child receives, which at the end of the day is really what we're after. Another thing you can do is continue your own education. We know about our kids and we know their strengths and their weaknesses, but our children evolve and as they evolve, we need to evolve. Also, the things that are done to help our kids evolve, the things that were around for helping a child with autism 15 years ago are dramatically different nowadays. And so if someone didn't keep up with it, they wouldn't be aware. So what you do is you develop the skills to help your child recruit, um, your child have a rich and meaningful life and you're going to do that by learning as much as you can because special education is what your child is doing now but you want to continue your own education throughout their school years but even past that really we work with adults also and so i always encourage the adults uh, their parents keep up with the trends and things that are going on so you can help out one of the resources i would like you to take note of is partners resource network I'm going to give you their phone number. It is 940-435-1222. They are affiliated with Region 9, which is one of the education centers in the Wichita Falls general area. And they offer a lot of resources to assist parents. Um, I'd like to go to more of their trainings, but some of their trainings are actually specifically designed to, for parents, and they prefer it be parents go to them. But they offer a lot of really neat trainings, and almost everything I've ever seen is free. They do workshops. They do clinics. They have a PRN regional coordinator who is basically like a caseworker that you can call for free one-on-one -on -one advice. You can call the ARC for advice and you'll get me and I will help you too. The difference is I'd like to think I'm fairly knowledgeable and I'm more than willing to help anybody, but this is what they do all the time. And one of the things they offer that I think is really neat is an IEP clinic. 
What they do in the IEP clinics is usually about an hour long. You just request it. They'll talk to you about the ARD process. They'll review the IEP for your child with you. They'll determine what you want for your child and to tell you how to achieve it and what might need to be changed in the IEP. So I can certainly help you if you contact the ARC. They can give you a lot more detail on what to do. And oftentimes there's times that I've had parents say, we're going to get them involved. Can you help too? And of course we will as much as we can. They're saying you can have their help and our help. There's nothing wrong with that. And I'll include as well in the podcast uh, notes or info, I'll include their website and phone number. Um, so you can just scroll down and click on it there. There, and when you have a 504 or an IEP, there's usually accommodations that are in place. What I want to emphasize is that you make sure the accommodations are in place at the beginning of the school year. One of the things that happens is because teachers get busy and they don't always have the information, an accommodation is delayed in getting put in place. And as you know with your kids, there are some accommodations that is going to just make their life horrible. And it's going to make everything around them horrible. And if they get off to a bad start, they become that child that's acting up. It's not their fault, but you don't want them to get that label. So you don't want to assume that everything's in place the first day of school. Hopefully it is, but don't assume it. School administrators have lots of kids to think about. Teachers have many kids to plan for. Only you have the capacity to keep your child's best interest at the top of the list. So what you want to do is check in with the teacher, anybody else you know at the school that does stuff. And double check on critical accommodations. Make sure any agreed upon supports are ready to go. If it's a visual chart, if there is a cubby, if it's a chart where they have a Velcro thing where they go from one subject to the next, whatever it is that helps your child, make sure they're aware of it because you want to make sure it's ready to go. If there's a problem, you would much rather know in advance and the school needs to know in advance. So that way we can keep it a small problem because as you know, with our kiddos, small problems are much easier to deal with than when they get out of control and they become big issues. Then you're trying to put everything back in the box and it's a little too late. So we want to make sure we have that. Now, even after you've given everybody your warm assurance, you're available and easy to work with, you've given them your information, you've talked to them, everything's off on a positive start, there's still a chance you won't hear anything from someone until it's report card time, unless there's some serious problem to address. If there's a big problem, they'll probably contact you. But otherwise, the general rule of thumb tends to be for schools that if there's not a problem, we don't need to communicate. And it's not because they're being mean. So if there's any school teachers listening, this isn't a dig at them. Um, what happens is they have so many things to do, it's easy to let something that's just going relatively smoothly go. But as a parent, you want to know everything good and bad that's going on. So what you want to do is make sure that you provide something, possibly a checklist. If you have a teacher that doesn't mind emailing with you every day or calling if something goes up, that's fine. But you don't want to just let things go till the next report card or the next reporting period. You don't want that because that's a lot of time that things are going. If things are going good, that's great. But if there's things we can do to improve their educational experience, we want to work on it. If there are problems, we want to nip them early on. And again, some teachers, until it's a major problem, they don't necessarily reach out to you because they don't want to bother you. As a teacher, I know um, I've worked with a lot of teachers. They'd rather handle it themselves. They'll do many interventions. And that's wonderful they do that because the last thing you want is a teacher that's calling you all the time expecting you to solve the problems. But you do want have to have communication because if they are doing things, it's good for you to know what's going on too because maybe you can do the same thing at home. Or there's things you're doing at home, you can let them know and they can do it at school. So we have that consistency. So we want to do all those things. 
Um, if the teacher is amenable to it and you're willing, one way you can do this is do a quick checklist. It can be in a binder that goes back and forth if the teacher's willing. And it'd be yes, no. Something like Johnny ate his lunch. Yes, no. That is extremely quick to mark. Johnny earned stickers for good behavior in blank. Because most schools seem to have something, at least in the lower grades, they have the sheet that goes home every day that there's something marked if they had a bad day. So you know, if it's a good day, there's something marked too. It's just a color, but you don't know anything other than they had a good day, but you don't know the specifics. And we don't necessarily want to get real specific, but if there's something you want to know in particular about your child, putting in a checklist is good. Sue had trouble with blank. That's something that's very quick. A teacher can do it quickly, and it gives you information that helps you know what's going on at school. So again, that's something you want to collaborate with the teacher to see if they have the time to do it, if that's something you're interested in. But you do not want to have a situation where you meet the teacher, and then you don't hear anything else till report card time comes in. Unless you have a child that is not having any struggles at all, even then I would urge that it's good for you to be involved and know what's going on. Another thing that a lot of parents don't think about is collecting information about extracurricular options and events. Your child might have trouble remembering announcements or sharing information. I know I have a child that always forgets to tell me what's going on at school. So the only way I ever find out anything is if they put it in a text message or if they put it in a folder. And you may have a child that's similar. Um, the reason that's a problem is because the non-academic pro programs, that's a chance for your child to explore their strengths meet new friends, start to enjoy school experiences, learn other experiences, and learn social skills. And I know I've probably talked about it in previous podcasts, but our population tend to struggle with social skills, whether it's communicating at all or communicating appropriately. Extracurricular options and activities is a good way for them to learn it. And aside from the school part, we do have a teen social program through the ARC where we give a lot of opportunities for teens to learn skills that's in a fun environment too. If you're not familiar with that, you can always go to our website or call us and we can tell you more about that. But that's an aside from the school part. If you have concerns about whether or how your child can be included in a particular program, email or call the contact person and ask. There's a good chance they might be able to accommodate your child's needs, and they may tell you, well, I don't think this is a good fit for your child. They may be uncomfortable telling you that thing. You'll be like, how dare you? You're discriminating. But if you have a good relationship, they may say, you know, I love Johnny. He does good, but I don't think this is particularly the right fit. There's this other program that does similar stuff. That is, that goes back to knowing the teachers and stuff like that. Another thing you can look at doing is preparing your child's new clothes, their shoes, and other items they get. Understand that special needs children have a tough time saying goodbye to old items and an equally hard time getting used to new things. Not just special needs teach, um, kids. I've met parents that have trouble letting go of things, but special needs kids, it's a little bit different. And there are some regular kids that have the same problem. Clothes and shoes can create sensory issues. They might have an emotional attachment to old stuff they have. So as early as possible, I would suggest after you hear this podcast, begin the process, if you have it, of sorting through older items and buying any necessary clothes and backpacks for the upcoming school year. That's a good time for you to remove tags. Um, I would suggest you get tagless clothes if you can, not always an option, but you'd be amazed how quickly that alone can save you some headaches. Anything you can do. If you can include your child in this process, that is a better way to do it so they can get rid of it. Some kids, it doesn't work because anything they see you getting rid of, they're going to have a meltdown. So maybe it doesn't work. You just have to know your child. That's a good thing to do early on so you start getting ready. I discussed this a little earlier, but it's good to create a new school year calendar. 
and a schedule for your child. Most of us are less anxious when we know what to expect. Imagine your first day to your new job. It's a little nerve-wracking because you don't know what you're going to do. Our kids are kind of the same way. They're getting a new teacher. They've met them once. They don't know who's going to be in their class always. So a lot of times they need schedules to lower their anxiety and prepare for transitions. Some schools do provide schedules to kids. Many don't. And some do verbally. And I don't even know how to put this properly, but it surprises me sometimes how many schools do it verbally when our kids aren't good verbal creatures often. They can do it verbal, but a lot of our kids really need to see something because visual is how they learn. So depending on your child's age and ability, you might create a daily schedule to help them acclimate to the new year and look ahead to events, vacations, etc. Um, one thing I know a lot of families, they do their calendar. Maybe it's in their phone. Maybe they have a calendar on their fridge. Whatever calendar you use, make sure it's something your child can see too. You can put little X's through the day so they see they're getting close to it. If there's something they're looking forward to, you can put a star on it. You can put a circle. Whatever it is that works for your child so that they can see things are going on. If you have a child that doesn't do well when an event's going on three weeks from now because they're just going to ramp up their anxiety because it's still three weeks and you know it's going to be miserable for you and them, maybe it doesn't go on the calendar. This goes back to knowing your child, but, but for most of our kids, a visual schedule is a really important thing to help them out. Another thing we should look at is addressing potential challenges ahead of time. Some of your kids are going from one school to another. Or they may be going from elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school. And there are some new challenges they've never had to face before. The more we know about the challenges, the better we're able to help them before the problem arises. This is just a couple of them that through the years I've had parents identify that maybe, well, hopefully you can learn from their mistakes and things they learned. Locks and lockers. A lot of kids with disabilities have trouble with a typical padlock. So instead of using the school's typical turn right, then turn left, spin it two or three times, if you can, consider purchasing a lock that uses rolling numbers or buttons, something that's easier for them to manipulate. If their lockers are set up so that you can do that, you can teach them how to do it at home. That way they're not uncomfortable at school because a lot of our kids worry about being judged so they can get good at it before it ever makes it to the school. Alternatively, you can ask the school if your teacher can use an unlocked cubby rather than a locker for non-valuable items, of course. You don't want to leave things that are expensive out in the open. As they get older, they're going to have gym class or they're going to do basketball or other activities. So sometimes they're required to keep special gym clothes in the locker. If this is the case, make sure your child can manage the lock. If it's a lock that can't be changed out and some locks can't be, then see if you can go to the school and work with the child after hours or before hours, or if a teacher or somebody's willing to work with them when there's no other kids around because we don't want to make them uncomfortable. Make sure they can tie their shoes or you have Velcro sneakers, whatever it is they need, because their shoes are going to go on and off depending on what class they're in. And make sure they can manage the gym things they have. So whatever we can do for gym class, make sure they understand some gym classes require showers. Some of our kids are used to taking a shower by themselves, but they're not used to doing it in a group setting. Is there a way to make that easier to mitigate that? Might be worth talking to the gym teacher and explaining your concerns, and maybe there's some things that can be done. Computer-based assignments. These days, a lot of assignments are done, whether it's through homework assignments, text, grades, they're all on the computer. They may use school-oriented software, they might use Google Drive, things like that. They may do that, and your kids, some of your kids may be better at it than we are. 
But some of them are really going to struggle with that. They may not know how to access a password. They may not know how to get online or save their work. If they're old enough for that kind of challenge, you need to get familiar with what they're doing so that you can help them with it. Um, hopefully when the school knows that, they can help them on their end too. But the sooner they learn it, the easier it is. Because a child that is stressing about the computer is not going to do good when they're doing other stuff. I will tell you, I have a child um, I have a child that is special needs and a child that isn't. And the one that isn't, when COVID hit, he got as stressed as I've ever seen him. He was an AB student, but the computer threw him. Because all of a sudden, they had to log in and do the visual stuff. And at least at first, I noticed grades suffered because he was so stressed about the process, they couldn't focus on the content. We want to make sure our kids don't do that, that they learn the process so that their grades are a reflection of what they really know till we go back to what we talked about earlier. We're working on the things they need to work on and we're not getting sidetracked by other issues. Another thing we can do is organize school systems. That's a fancy way to say in your house, if you have a place you can put school stuff, that's a good way to do things. That way you know where the things are, your child knows where the things are and makes things quicker. But I don't mean just put it in one spot. If you can, Maybe visit an office supply store and check out things for organizing papers, supplies, and your time because your time is valuable too. And again, our kids do good on routine. So if we can set things up in a way that makes it easier for them, it's easier for all of you. And I'll give you some examples of that. You want to choose something that's easy enough for them to manage. But an example might be if you know they lose their homework, then buy something for home where you label it where work that's completed is on the left and work that needs to be worked on is on the right. So they know it's done. And then it can be, if it needs to be moved to another um, folder or if it needs to be moved somewhere else, it's fine. But at least he knows that the work he's done goes there and then you can help him. And if they learn that how to put it in their, their different subject folder, that's fine and well. But this is a way that you also know when they're losing their homework, all homework goes in this folder. That way, it's not I put it in the wrong folder or anything else. Every single piece of paper you have is in the completed folder, is at your desk, wherever you're doing the homework every single day, so we keep them in the same spot, or it's another folder. That is the only three places it can be, and it eliminates or at least minimizes the chance of losing schoolwork. If they have trouble finding books in their locker, and that's not as big an issue now that we're in the computerized era, but there's still teachers that give out a lot of books. Consider buying a locker shelf. And what I suggest, I've seen people put things on shelves and it's fine. But what I would suggest, because our kids are with, good with routine, is if you can, set the books or whatever their material are from the first class to that in order. That way it's right on the shelf where it goes. And then they can get whatever they need. If they go to the locker after every class, they can learn to put whatever they just used to the far right. Then at the end of the day, everything's still in order. They don't have to do anything any different because at the end of the day, it's back in order the way they started. I hope that made sense on a podcast. In my mind, it's clear, but if it's not clear, feel free to call. Okay, along those lines, create a home staging area. You might choose an area near the door, open, open cubbies, shelving, baskets, hooks. This is a good place, but if there's an umbrella, a jacket, books, homework, backpacks, sports bags, keys, lunches, anything school related, this is where it goes. I would suggest this is a good place to put 
that book that you're going to make, the binder where you keep all your communication, the other book you're going to make that you have all this information about schools, this is a good place to keep that. That way you know exactly where it is too. You can consider, depending on how you learn or what's helpful for you, having a large whiteboard there. With a large whiteboard, it helps your child remember tasks and items. It can help you. You can use that same board to write down things to help you. That way it's not just in your phone, but every time you look at that board, it's an update to you about things that are going on. Something, there's a PTA meeting. You want to remember Johnny's going to have this activity at school. He's going to sing. Whatever it is, you have a way to help you remember things. And an alarm clock or a timer might help get out the door on time. I've had several kids that struggle with time. And there's different ways you can do that. There are different timers, but you want to have a way if they struggle with time, Timers are a good way to work on that too. And that's a whole nother subject we can do another day. But that would make this podcast way too long to get into that now. Something else you might consider is finding a tutor or a homework helper if your child struggles. Some of our kids do pretty good in school, but they might need help outside of school. So if you know they're not really good at math or they're not good at a particular subject, look for someone now. Try to find, if you can, find different candidates. Sometimes you don't have a lot of options, but find someone that their personality and skill level fits your child. And if you can, let your child decide who they want to work with. It doesn't always work that way, but if you can, that's a good idea. And I do understand that we're talking about different functioning levels. So some kids, some of you might be listening and thinking, math, my child's not going to do math. They can barely flip a, turn a book open. Everybody's situation is different. But if there are things that your child can benefit from learning, even if it's lower level things, then maybe a tutor or homework helper can help with that. And there's different ways to do that. Some of them are paid people. Sometimes there's volunteers that can do that. Sometimes you might have neighborhood kids or older kids with special needs that they want to be helpful. They want to learn. And if they help your child, it reinforces it for them. So there are different ways that type of thing can be done. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up medication. I know we did previously, I did a blog on medication about the do's and don'ts of medication. And I will stress again, not every child needs to be on medication. There are a lot of parents that are dead set against medication and that is fine. But if medication helps your child, then that's wonderful. What I want you to know is if your child takes medication, if they've been off it during the summer, you want to start restarting it now to get them back used to it. You want to talk to your doctor. Discuss whether there's medication changes needed. Um, puberty may change things up, how they're handling things. As a child gets more used to sensory input, they get more used to the environment. Maybe they don't need as much anxiety medication or things like that. Um, they may have increased demands at school where they need more of a medicine to help them cope a little bit better. But you want to make sure that whatever medication they're taking is doing what it needs to do to help you out. Kind of in closing, what I'd like to say is that this is not a comprehensive list. Um, I've given you a lot of information. And I sure hope it's going to be helpful for you. Please feel free to go back to this podcast because I covered enough information that it's probably going to be hard to remember all of it. Take the information that's helpful for you. I hope it's helpful for you. If not, hopefully it's helpful for friends. So feel free to pass this information out to other people. But also remember, you're going to have that resource for Partners Resource Network as far as information, IAPs and stuff like that. But whether you need help with that or anything else you need help for, with, if you're a member of the ARC, you can feel free to call the ARC and we'll be glad to help you. You will probably be referred to me and I'll be glad to talk to you on the phone. I'll be glad to schedule a meeting for you to come in to meet with you and your child to talk about things. 
We don't mind doing that at all. If you're not a member of the ARC and you're hearing this, I would encourage you to get a membership at the ARC. It's $25 a year, a quick plug. But I will also tell you, if you call on the phone, I'm not going to hang up on you because you're not a member of the ARC. We are more than glad to try to help out. But the members of the ARC, we can get a little more involved and, and do a little more stuff because we know you and the kids a little bit better. So that's kind of one of the last things I wanted to cover. So, um, yeah, Frank, if you don't mind to sending me this information and we can get it on our ARC website, um, on our blog, because it is a lot of information, a lot of good information. And so if you weren't taking notes, fear not, we're going to have this posted, um, on our website as well. And I'll include the link to the blog in the podcast notes as well as the partners resource network information, um, but yeah, hopefully this information was helpful to you. Like Frank said, call us, call uh, Partners Resource Network. Um, you have resources out there that um, will help make your life and your child's life a little bit easier. Um, and yeah, we, we want your child to have a successful school year. Um, and we want um, it to be an opportunity not only for your child to learn and grow, but also for you as a parent. And so, um, yeah, we would love to be a part of the process and hopefully this information is helpful to you. So thank you, Frank, for coming back on. Of course, every time it's like, I'm, I'm learning so much from you whenever you come on, um, all things IDD. So thank you for being here today. It is my pleasure. I'm glad that I was able to come and help. Thank you so much for joining us today on all things IDD. As always, it is a pleasure and honor that you would join in and listen in on our podcast. If there's a topic that you would like us to cover on All Things IDD, feel free to reach out and we're happy to find a professional or expert regarding anything to do with the IDD world. As always, be good to yourself.
Thank you so much for joining on All Things IDD today.